Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, joined by Michael O'Neill in Syracuse, New York. Howdy, Michael. Hey, David. All right, good. And of course, folks, you know that today is the second Monday of the month. That means we're also joined by Green Party National Co-Chair Gloria Matera in Brooklyn, New York. Howdy, Gloria. Howdy, David. Howdy, Michael. Oh, boy, I got a howdy out of the Brooklyner, so that makes me happy. So, Gloria, I got to tell you, there's a lot to talk about, so I want to jump right in. Before we do, I want to remind folks you're watching and or listening to A Green Way Forward. This is the program weekly where Michael O'Neill and I come on and talk about issues, organizations, and events, specifically through the perspective of the Green Party, as we work to build an eco-socialist program and the Green Party uh, in the United States of America. Uh, Gloria, if, if let's just jump right into the State of the Union. Uh, I know that you suffered through it, uh, like many of us did. Uh, wondering if you have any observations and thoughts. Yes, a lot uh, of thoughts. Um, a lot of kind of shocking um, reactions. Uh, some of it, for me, you know, I, I know a lot of people kept talking about political theater. I mean, it was almost worse than that. It was just disturbing uh, in in many ways. I mean, I think that the imagery of, I mean, first of all, let's start from when President Trump walks in, you know, just um, a sea of white men in dark suits, you know, back clapping and high-fiving. And, um, you know, I know that there's some tradition about the Republic. Everybody gets in the aisles to, you know, shake the president's hand from the party he's in. Uh, and then there are, of course, the women in white, right? Probably many of them Democrats, a lot of them, a lot of the newly elected uh, women to Congress uh, sitting together, making a statement in their suffragette white. And I think some of the, you know, the, the real reactions to me was this um, in three different occasions, this outburst of USA, USA chanting. Um, it seems that, you know, certainly there was a, um, marked sitting back and not clapping and not standing up and some Democrats, particularly uh, the women in white. But there gets to be a point when the president talks about things like patriotism and liberty, um, the greatest nation of the world, uh, that apple pie stuff that the Democrats almost couldn't help but, you know, kind of get excited and, and join in that. And, of course, another one was when he acknowledged, you know, more women in the workforce. I mean, some of the things that the president was touting, um, I think that we as Greens, as eco-socialists, um, we think that these are kind of a human rights uh, that people should always have to get up on your feet and cheer because the president has now instituted paid family leave, Um in what he would call the greatest country and the richest country in the world uh, is almost a little off in that way. Um, and even the way he posed that, uh, that uh, statement about paid family leave actually even got Chuck Schumer, um, you know, the democratic minority leader or senior Senator right here from New York to applaud and be excited. And then Trump, just like any, you know, like kind of actor came right in there and said, isn't that a great contrast from the fact that just a few days ago in New York, politicians were cheering because they passed a law to rip babies from their mother's womb? And then, of course, the Democrats had to say, 
uh, oh, uh, we kind of like that law, so now we're going to have to sit here quietly. Um, so those are just you know, some Thank of my, you, my Gloria, for that. Thank you, Gloria Matera, for that kind of big, uh, broad picture outline. Michael and I were both lamenting that jingoistic chanting of USA, USA, as if this is some sort of sporting event. Uh, but in a sense, it really is. Uh, what we are witnessing in the State of the Union is less uh, an assessment of what is actually the state of affairs politically, economically, and ecologically, and more grand spectacle and theater. Uh, there was also another bit of theater that I'm going to ask Michael O'Neill uh, to talk about, uh, and that is uh, the reaction that we saw when Donald Trump made a decree that there will be no socialism in America. Michael O'Neill? Right. Well, there were Democrats who were actually applauding that. And look, we expect Republicans to applaud that. Uh, we expect Donald Trump to say that. Uh, however, it is dangerous, and we have to mark the danger of having the president condemning and vilifying a an idea within the country, an idea that is becoming more popular by the day with the sizable portion of the of the population. And but for the Democratic Party, which is the mainstream party that uh, at least a portion of these folks who are becoming curious about socialism or becoming active in promoting socialism are participating in that even the members of, of their elite, that the leadership power structure of that party were applauding that. And, and, you know, if they disagree with socialism, we, we expect that, right. We, that's, you know, there's a, a long road to go there, but for them to be applauding a decree from this vile person that they are supposed to be resisting that this idea will never have a foothold in America. And in fact, that America has instead been founded on freedom and opportunity as opposed to genocide and slavery and wars is just despicable. And it's why on this program, we have to constantly be pointing out the leadership of the Democratic power Party, the power structure of the Democratic Party are beyond redemption, and that's why on A Green Way Forward, we talk about the pressing need for building independent political power from the Democratic Party and the Green Party as a vehicle for that. And folks, that gives me an opportunity to remind you that you are, in fact, watching and or listening to a Green Way Forward. If you're watching on Facebook, please make sure to share this on your own page or any page that you manage. If you're listening to us on a podcast, make sure that you share that podcast with your family and friends. And lastly, please go to the website, agreenwayforward.org, and sign up so we can keep you abreast of upcoming events, upcoming guests, and soon we hope to be launching upcoming additional premiums that we'll be offering to folks who have signed up on that website. Gloria Matera, I want to ask you, what did you think about Michael O'Neill's uh, response and how he sort of dissected what we saw with Democrats applauding Trump's decree of no socialism in America. Uh, I, I think it was right on point. Um, Michael, I really appreciate that. It was kind of, um, you know, a great analysis. Uh, been thinking about it for me. Uh, well, I guess to say that it, like, I think even the next day in the press, 
the Democrats had to actually start to, you know, kind of making sure everyone knew that they were, you know, they had no truck with socialism because I think, you know, that that's, that's the problem now that they have created, right? They have some newer people elected to office, um, you know, that you know, Bernie Sanders started the more popular democratic socialism, you know, kind of out in the mainstream. But I think that the Democratic Party was playing their part in that theater, that they had to make sure the leadership that, you know, no one is going to call us something that we think the electorate or probably much more our corporate sponsors, you know, um, are going to be happy with, right? We have to make sure that we don't do that. And so there's kind of the problem. What was interesting, I noticed, I think because I watched it after the fact, so I got to really kind of thinking about what I, I was watching, was that um, the the applause, um, the kind of the signing on, joining in of the Democrats would come whenever Trump would say something. In fact, he, one thing he said is, we should be, we should, instead of political resistance, the politics of resistance, which is what we talk about, which is what we're dedicated to as eco-socialist Greens, he said, you know, instead of that, we need compromise so that we are one nation. That got some of the Democrats to their feet. Right. Let's well, compromise with the fascists. This crazy unity, unity, <laughs> right? Yeah. This Democrats love compromise. We have to come together. Yes. yes. Yeah, well, because they are compromised. That's the problem. They're compromised and they love to compromise. And well said, Michael O'Deal. I'm going to actually up it a, a moment, though, to say I celebrate the fact that a sitting president had to actually say no socialism in America. I can't remember in my lifetime anyway where there was enough of a threat even of people curious about or talking about socialism. Uh, that a president during a State of the Union had to reject the idea. So I agree with everything, Gloria and Michael, that you both said. And because I understand how culture works, I will say, frankly, folks, that's an indication that we're winning. And David, if I can just jump in, I I need to actually um, walk back what I said. Democrats are ready to compromise unless it's about ranked choice voting or public finance of campaigns, or multi-party democracy. Uh, on those things, they're going to hold a hard line. But when it comes to, like, oh, I don't know, privatizing Social Security, the way Barack Obama tried to do it during his administration, or foreign wars and wars of aggression, on that, they're ready to reach across that aisle because they're actually reaching for a payout most of the time. Well done, Michael O'Neill. Uh, So, look, I want to make sure, uh, Gloria, because I was really proud of the fact that Jill Stein gave a really wonderful uh, State of the the Union response uh, on her page. I think it was simulcast on the Green Party's national uh, Facebook uh, live stream. But there was also a written response from Justin Beth, who is a co-chair of the Green Party of the United States uh, from Maine. I'll ask Michael to put that into the comment section for those of you who are wa- uh, watching on Facebook, read the comments. You can take a look there. Uh, in addition, if you're listening on an audio podcast, just go to www.gp.org, the National Green Party uh, page, uh, and it'll, it should pop right up for you. Uh, Glory Matera, any uh, highlights from that Green Party response that you'd like to share? 
Yeah, I, I want to really acknowledge my uh, co-chair, Justin Beth, for you know taking the time to put that together uh, and, and putting it, have it on our website. Um, I think Justin really uh, hit some really good points, uh, said, you know, first of all, why we call it the state of the union? It's our union. The state of our union is abysmal. Right. That uh, it is people who, you know, this kind of touting, which we heard a lot of uh, from Trump, the American dream and, um, you know, all the untapped potential that that there is if we would, you know, kind of just compromise and all be united. Justin really talked about the American nightmare that for families, for, you know, 80 percent of the people that have an uncertain future for debt. Uh, lack of good paying jobs, um, housing crisis, uh, healthcare crisis, so many ways that people in this country are suffering. And, you know, Justin clearly pointing out it's what is it good for? It's good for the corporations. It's good for the 1%. And, you know, definitely calls out the politicians that continue to cater to that 1%. And uh, another good point that Justin made there is like, not only not in past pre- the last presidency and now in this presidency, somehow for some reason Congress votes to give the president even more money for military spending than requested. Like, what is that about? Because we know that the you know the obscene amount of funding for the military and the contracts and the military industrial complex, in fact, is the cash cow a green. Uh, government would use to pay for the Green New Deal, which, as we've talked about many times, will not only, you know, be a bold initiative to mitigate climate change and kind of change how energy uh, is produced and used in this country, but also create good paying union jobs that are really focused on what each community and each region needs to be sustainable and livable. Thanks so much, Gloria. And I want to remind viewers who are watching on the Facebook live stream, you can make comments or ask questions directly to Gloria in the comments section. Michael and Neil will harvest some of those. Uh, You got some uh, responses that we do want to share, Gloria. Bob wrote in to say, our children deserve the right to vote for more than the choices that the two gangs in suits provide us, which I thought was a nice turn of the phrase. Bob, I'm going to give you credit for it now because when I use the phrase two gangs in suits in the future. Uh, I won't footnote you then. I'm just going to say it as if I thought of that clever phrase. So here's your one uh, uh, attribution. Uh, Caroline wrote in to say, ranked choice voting is the only way to go. It must happen for other voices to have a chance. And that kind of segues us into what should Greens be working on in 2019 And Gloria, I'm going to ask you, how important do you think it is that ranked choice voting be one of the things that uh, Greens are supporting and proposing in 2019? Uh, I I think ranked choice voting, fighting for that city by city, state by state is a top priority. Um, We have seen that victory uh, in several places already. Um, And I think that although... People may feel that electoral reform in the past is something that's a bit wonky. It's hard to kind of get their head around. I think we have proven that voters want their vote to count, that they are um, angry about the fact that their votes are dismissed, their ballots are lost, 
the system is in some very much ways it's either dysfunctional or rigged or both. And right choice voting for Greens and for other independents is the way to show that not only every vote counts, but to break that duopoly, to be able to elect people that are school teachers, uh, that are union members, that are eco-socialists, as we started uh, talking about in this program. And so I would say for uh, 2019, any year where there's primarily local elections around the country, that local candidates taking up the issue of ranked choice voting, Greens joining with other uh, kind of good government groups and you know other organizations that want to make sure that voters' rights are really true voters' rights and that there's real choice is a really a way to have a path to winning elections for the Greens across the country. And Gloria, I just want to give a shout out to Joshua, who just wrote in saying that he ran for county board in Illinois uh, with a platform featuring ranked choice voting and proportional representation and really wanted to uh, highlight that proportional representation is it has actually been the measure that has gotten the most Greens into office around the world, where not only do you get to rank your candidates by preference, but where you win seats in office in proportion to the number of votes that you got. So if you win 30% of the vote, you get a third of the seats in the legislature or the governing body that the election is for. And that's important because in a winner-take-all election, even if you have or even a ranked choice voting for a single seat uh, election, you have a situation where up to, you know, well, it's most it's the worst in, in winner-take-all where you can have 49.9% of the vote essentially ignored. And and so that's not a democracy, or at least it's a very weak, emaciated, sickly version of a democracy where you have, you know, 30 percent, 40 percent of the population who are effectively silenced by the result of an election when they get no representation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good point, Michael O'Neill. And I think that it's a, a good reminder to us that as Greens uh, and as eco-socialists, we support proportional representation for any election where there are going to be multiple winners. For example, uh, we think it's the better way to enact for representation to Congress or State House. Uh, But if you can only have one winner, then a pure ranked choice voting is the way to go for president or mayor, uh, what have you. But at the end of the day, uh, what we have to understand is that Voting is a tool and a tactic, an important one, but not the only one. And I do want to make sure, Gloria, to give you a chance uh, to talk about some of the other electoral work that you think Green should be doing. So absolutely supporting ranked choice voting, as so many of our viewers have written in about. Uh, but what about the importance of some of the other things that Greens could be doing in the electoral arena? You know, David, I think there are a lot of issues that, uh, especially I think this year, that are focused on uh, environmental issues, uh, climate issues. And I think those are happening in different ways around the country. And what I have seen both uh, in my in my own area in New York, but hear about from Greens around the country, is that joining in with uh, grassroots groups, with tenants, with um other activists in, in areas where a power plant is going up or fighting the brownfields or a mega development. Um, you know, did anyone say Amazon um, here in New York? And so where I think these are struggles that uh, Greens have always been involved in. But, I, you know, I'm kind of saying, Greens, let's ramp it up. 
2019. You know, come out, be seen being green, be proud about who you are, talk about our platform, because our platform really can address a lot of the issues that communities are really struggling with now, um, you know, in public housing, uh, what's being done to the residents in public housing in terms of their health, their safety. You know, these are places where the Green, you know, green Party organizers locally can start to do that work, building relationships. Um, we're not always welcome with the bigger kind of NGOs. Uh, they tend to be connected to the Democratic Party, but there are tenants groups. Um, there are community organizations that are really kind of, you know, fighting for their livelihood, let's be honest. And I think that Greens can join in with that. And that is not only built towards what might become um, a, an electoral campaign, but we're also dedicated to finding um, organizers in those struggles that we can lift up with our skills of running candidates to be candidates. So, Gloria, you, you uh, addressed a lot there. So, uh, one, I, I hear the eagerness in wanting to get to talk about how Greens need to be directly participating in issue movements and popular movements. And we want to expand upon that in just a moment. And then near the end, you were talking about how we need to be, when we're running for office, we need to be uh, working hard to give voice to those movements within the electoral arena, taking the positions of those movements into candidate debates and candidate forums and making sure that they are within the frame of the election and recruiting people from those movements to be our candidates running for office to actually put the best ideas of popular movements into government. Now, just staying with the electoral track for just a a little bit more before we get more into that uh, kind of direct movement participation work, something that David and I were talking about last week was the possibility of experimenting with with focusing on nonpartisan elections where Greens have the opportunity to run in them as a way to break through maybe some of the stigma that is associated with running third party and even voting third party in partisan races. And also, even in terms of building a campaign team, being able to recruit formal campaign support in terms of high level volunteers, supporters, donors, uh, who might be more apt to support a green candidate in a nonpartisan race than a partisan race. What do you think of that thought experiment or that actual experiment as it has been uh, tried in, in different places in the country? Right. Thank you, Michael. It certainly has been, been tried and, you know, and, and successful. Uh, we had that uh, in the village of New Paltz uh, when we, uh, the Greens elected, uh, when, when the mayor, the deputy mayor and one uh, town council person uh, were elected in a nonpartisan race, but they were all Greens. And so uh, that is a way to build, I think, probably a wider campaign, um, wider support. What we uh, do know is that people who are uh, Green Party members uh, will be very steeped in the Green Party platform and use that as their candidate platform. But, you know, the nonpartisan race does give maybe a certain opportunity uh, also, I'd also kind of throw in there because they're all, they're often nonpartisan. Sometimes that there will be special elections, they tend to happen faster, um, which may mean a bit more mobilization for Greens. But they also, in probably in more smaller places, 
uh, given opportunity for people to kind of rally around that candidate and their platform, uh, not worrying so much. Um, I don't mean the candidate themselves, but some supporters may be their first taste of working with, working for, and supporting a Green Party member in a nonpartisan race. Thank you so much, Michael, for bringing that up. And Gloria, your very astute analysis. And I'm going to put make a very pointed uh, observation about the importance of Greens getting elected to those offices, because when elected, Greens govern differently. In New Paltz, uh, New York, of course, I have to lift up Jason West, who, while the Democratic Party and Bill and Hillary Clinton were both proclaiming that marriage was now and would always be only between between a man and a woman. Jason West was marrying same-sex couples in New Paltz and, in fact, got arrested for doing it. And what did he do? He bailed himself out and married some more. So the importance of getting elected cannot be uh, overstated. And now I'll go from New Paltz, New York, on the East Coast to Humboldt County, California, where I currently live, work, and play, and lift up Dave Meserve, who was a Green Party city council member during the Patriot Act. And while so many uh, city councils and even states were passing non-binding resolutions opposing George Bush and the Patriot Act, an important thing to be sure, it's at least a statement of value, Arcata, California friends, with the leadership of Dave Meserve, passed a binding law that forbid the city government, our police department, or our library, or the city clerk to comply with specific provisions of the Patriot Act that the American Civil Liberties Union and the National Lawyers Guild had identified as encroachments on the constitutional rights uh, of, of people within that jurisdiction. So I got to say it again. Electing Greens matter. I want to thank Michael O'Neill for reminding us the importance of continuing the experience experiment of nonpartisan elections where Greens can run uh, just on the issues and on the strength of their platform. And I want to make it very clear. We are not saying that Greens should not run for partisan office. We do think, or at least I'll speak for myself, I do think that nonpartisan elections give us the best opportunity to prove that we can run successfully and that when we win, we can govern. The last thing I want to do on electoral politics is just say a quick word about the absolute importance of registering green in those states where you can register green. And even if you can't register green in every state, you can quote, join the Green Party according to whatever the rules of either your state law and or your state party. And I'll ask Michael O'Neill if he could throw up in the comments section uh, the link on the National Green Party's page about how to either register Green or join the Green Party. Gory Matera, any thoughts on registering Green? I mean, I can't say it any better than you did, David. Yes, um, people can do something in every state. Uh, states that have enrollment, you can fill out that form and write green. States that, that do not, there are other ways to be considered a Green Party member. Um, I want to, I guess, a special appeal to people who uh, decided that they are disgusted um, 
with uh, the two corporate parties. Maybe they started out as Democrats and felt like the statement they were making against the, you know, the kind of corporate Democratic Party was to just be no party in states where you can do that. I want to tell you that the Green Party is really the home for you. It is the same home if you've decided that you're an anarchist. I know anarchists don't always like to vote, but uh, if you're a socialist, uh, because I think that if you have a certain political position, uh, political principles on the left, well, the Green Party is a place where you can um, talk about those, where you can help continue to shape our eco-socialist platform, where you can really uh, participate in democracy in the most direct way. And voting, registering Green, I think, is not going to be a compromise for people who may have certain political beliefs on the left. I think it strengthens the relationship between the only, you know, the organized left electoral party in this country, along with the other left movements and organizations in this country. Well said, Gloria. And I, I do want to remind, when, when I meet people who think that anarchists shouldn't vote or some sort of prohibition, I remind them two things. Number one, you may not believe in the state, but the state believes in you. Uh, and the second thing is a reminder that the most successful anarchist experiment uh, ever conducted was clearly uh, in Spain in the 1930s. And the Spanish anarchists participated and encouraged their members to participate in that election uh, in a principled manner. Uh, and, of course, we've already talked a bit about issue and movement work. And, the, Gloria, you very eloquently talked about the need to participate in and bring forth leaders from issue-based uh, entities and organizations uh, to run on the Green Party. But I also think it's important, Michael, uh, you have uh, been uh, pro pro promoting the idea of building alternative institutions. And I want to give you a chance uh, to, to share your thoughts about the importance of alternative institution building that goes beyond electoral work and even goes beyond typical issue work. Well, David, I have to give credit to you uh, in terms of turning my attention to the work of places like Cooperation Jackson and the work of Kali Akuno and also the work that you've been doing in Humboldt County in California. And, and then also there are Greens locally who for a long time have been a part of the Radical Credit Union here in Syracuse, New York, and um, the food co-op and, and other you know, cooperative enterprise movement, both in terms of worker co-ops and consumer co-ops. And I'm interested in this for a couple reasons that I would love to get Gloria's feedback on. One is building institutions that are directly helping people helps build the, the power and the capacity of working people who are currently being strangled by the system. And working folks who have a little bit more time to work with and a little bit more money to work with and more food to work with those are stronger, more empowered participants in the fights that we have to wage in order to win what we want. And second, while we are building those institutions, uh, we're flexing our own democracy muscles and our own abilities to organize and to, and to just build working, functioning uh, platforms. And, and that's a good skill for us. And we're going to forge relationships with people 
that we will need in order to to wage effective electoral campaigns. And then third, to the extent that we are able to demonstrate or contribute some leadership in the building of these cooperative institutions and solidarity institutions, we are showing that Greens have a capacity to lead and, in a way, govern. I'm using the word govern loosely, but that we have the ability to guide publicly uh, uh, institutions that are serving the public, even when we're not in office, and then point to the government power structure and say, why are we not actively supporting these uh, credit unions and worker co-ops and food co-ops? Why are we giving grants and support to business development co- uh, councils and to um, subsidies for, for you know, big development contracts in real estate instead of supporting land banks and uh, public housing? And so I, I think that there's a, a lot of, of there's a lot there for us to gain because I think that even the sort of larger 501c3 nonprofit industrial complex for the most part is ignoring a lot of this work. And instead, they're just focusing on advocacy and ice bucket challenges and, and hashtag activism. And this is, number one, there's a lot of space for this kind of work. And two, I think there's some real immediate needs for working people that we could be addressing with this kind of work. Uh, I, I mean, Michael and Neil, you really um, put out a real challenge and what I think would be a wonderful experiment uh, for the for the Green Party and for us to kind of uh, talk about that uh, to Greens around the country. We do, we do know that there are Greens that have been an integral part of starting food co-ops. Uh, I want to, you know, lift up Rick Wolf and all the work he's doing and going around the country talking about worker co-ops and how that really fits very uh, neatly into our Green New Deal uh, for the, you know, with, when the Green Party talks about the Green New Deal. Uh, that, to me, uh, I don't want I don't want to jump the gun on topics, but I think that could be a very interesting discussion um, among Greens when they come together um, later on this year uh, and at the annual meeting, um, because I think we see glimmers of that. Um, we, I have seen our Greens out when it's, um, I mean, I'm thinking more about our Greens in, uh, in Florida, um, you know, when there were the. Uh, recent uh, the hurricane uh, they were out there they were bringing food to people they were collecting clothing they were uh, trying to do advocacy work but the kind of advocacy work that was getting a family in a safe place not lobbying the elected officials to get those families in a safe place I think uh, here in New York we saw some of that around Occupy Sandy where even though it was, we couldn't say the leadership was kind of a hierarchical structure, where actually Greens were very involved with many others, really providing direct services in areas that FEMA and elected officials hadn't gotten around to yet. So I, I think this would be an amazing experiment and conversation to see how this might actually um, really ramp up during this, you know, kind of 2019 uh, local election only year uh, where Greens might really be able to participate like that. And as an eco-socialist myself, I'm just going to lift up and remind myself, uh, Michael and Gloria, and you, the viewer, listener of A Green Way Forward, that really what we're talking about is what Lenin described as dual power, the idea of creating alternative institutions 
counter institutions to begin not only to provide direct services, direct assistant tangible benefits to people, but also to give them the experience of collectively making and implementing decisions rather than voting for somebody to make the decision for you. It's a very powerful experience. And I tell you, uh, I promise you that on a green way forward, Michael and I are going to have a program specifically uh, talking about dual power as a concept theoretically, but also concrete examples like Cooperation Jackson, Cooperation Humboldt, uh, and some of the other experiments going on. But Gloria, you did tease us a bit with the upcoming Green Party annual national meeting. And I want you to actually go a little bit deeper on that because I'm kind of excited about the fact that we're headed to Jill Stein's home state uh, in 2019. Tell us about that. We are uh, Thursday, July 25th through that weekend, uh, Sunday, July 28th of this year. Uh, The Green Party annual meeting will be in Salem, Massachusetts. We'll be at Salem State University. Uh, so a lot of kind of wonderful uh, environmental things going on there, a, a lot of things that we can get involved in even politically. Uh, but basically, it's a coming together of uh, greens around the country. Uh, we, you can get all that detail on gp.org uh, on their annual meeting. But just some highlights is that um, you, for greens that there are uh, diversity waivers. We want to make, try and make this annual meeting as affordable as possible and to have as many greens come uh, we know that travel especially if you're coming from one coast to the other can be prohibitive so um, you know we keep the costs low staying in university housing uh, and you know kind of having meals there but we know that it can be a sacrifice so we want to make sure that people are able to do that obviously if you're in a caucus of a green party that um can talk, you know, that's a way to get through to our diversity waiver, but don't let that keep you from not applying if you are not currently in a caucus. Uh, this is an opportunity where, where there will be workshops. I think a couple of ideas popped up right in, in this conversation we're having. I hope that um, David and I might talk about recreating one we did last time at, on eco socialism. There'll be um, opportunities to talk to people who are running for office for greens to talk about uh, who they are uh, obviously locally but greens from all over candidates have an opportunity to share experiences and resources there's a conversation about maybe having one big you know kind of strategy dialogue about leading up to 2020 um, you know how do we see our party position what does all that mean in this kind of era of of trump and what's happening with who's you know 10 Democrats maybe by now, you know, kind of getting in the race. Uh, They'll be, so we're hoping to have the kinds of experiences. Obviously we're still filling the program Uh, right now. There is a form on at that uh, page on the website where you can uh, propose a workshop. It's really great when Greens get together from around the country and do something that they've been working on. Well, we also will be focusing on workshops that will be real skills building how to be a treasurer, which is so important uh, in an electoral campaign, but often a very challenging for a green candidate to find someone who's willing and able to do that. You know, how to do grassroots organizing, how to do vote targeting. Um, There'll be issue workshops and the kinds of things that Greens uh, really want to become more articulate about. Single-payer health care, the Green New Deal, 
um, you know, indig- you know, uh, there'll be people from the Indigenous Caucus, from the Black Caucus, from the Women's Caucus, from the um, Lavender Caucus. And so I'm hoping that those of you listening who are Greens or Green Curious uh, will check out what our annual meeting is going to be about. And obviously, as the weeks build, there'll be more and more information specifically about what will be going on that weekend. So, folks, I'll add my voice to the uh, invitation that Gloria extended to you. Please come to the Green Party's annual national meeting. Uh, You'll get a sense of the ordinary people who are rolling up their sleeves to do extraordinary things, including running for office and building an eco-socialist movement and a political party that represents it. And I also want to take this opportunity to thank Michael O'Neill, Uh, for being one of those kinds of greens that roll up their sleeves and get some work done because Michael O'Neill pointed out to me something that I missed, and that is the scathing indictment that we made against H.R. 1, the the Democrats' signature uh, campaign for making elections fair, uh, has a lot of good stuff in it, to be sure. Uh, But there are a couple of poison pills uh, that need to be identified. Number one, there's a direct attack on the Green Party and the Libertarian Party in the sense that it is increasing dramatically uh, what it requires in order to qualify for primary matching funds. There's no doubt that this is uh, an effort from, from going from uh, 5000 in uh, 20 states uh, to $25,000 uh, in 25 states is clearly a, an effort to raise the bar. So moving the goalposts is one thing. Lots of folks have identified that. When I give a hat tip to Bruce Dixon of the Black Agenda Report, uh, Dave Schwab of the uh, Stein campaign has done some social media on this. But Michael O'Neill pointed out something that I didn't see at first, and I don't think anybody has, and I'm going to break it here on a green way forward, and that is – the vaulted 5% that the Green Party has been talking about as the way to really launch us, because if the Green Party or the Libertarian Party had gotten 5% of the vote in 2016, that party's 2020 nominee would start with about $16 million to begin with. In the well, general election. Folks, for the general election. It, it, yes, in the general election. The, uh, the ultimate nominee. Thanks for that correction, Michael. But here's the thing, folks. In H.R. 1, they literally, without saying a word, there's been no media on it. What do they do in H.R. 1, Michael? It's been completely eliminated. Uh, the, the, the public funding grants for party nominees has been completely obliterated. Now, I just wanted to start off by saying, you know, David, you said that lots of folks have have reported on the quadrupling of the uh, requirement necessary to get matching funds for the party primary. It's only lots if we're thinking of it in terms of like our small Green Party circle and other allies who actually care about creating multi-party democracy. That that alone has been vastly undercovered. Um, but we have had you know folks who have who've sounded the alarm about this. That um, you know the Stein campaign in 2016 was able to get matching funds uh, during the primary by raising $5,000 in each of 20 states during the primary campaign. And that was a huge uh, help to that campaign and was an important part of how that campaign was able to have the reach that it had. So that 
is being quadrupled, as we said. So now, if, if you know, the, the candidate running in 2020, if this rule gets passed, will have to raise $25,000 in each of 20 states. So we're going from $5,000 to $25,000 in one presidential cycle. Wouldn't it be great if we raised the minimum wage that way? Like, you know, it shows you what people's priorities are that, oh, you know, we've got to raise the requirements for these presidential matching funds. It's too low. Meanwhile, the federal minimum wage continues to languish. Um, but aside from that, right, that's all bad enough. But aside from that, uh, you know, I got a tip about this uh, you know, language in the bill about, uh, you know, the 5% essentially being done away with. And the person reach, who was saying this to me said, well, that's what the Greens want, right? Well, n- no, we, this, this isn't the kind of public campaign finance reform that we wanted. Um, because what will happen now is the, the block grants that David was talking about, the public campaign g- grants that the party nominee would get for the primary election, if you had gotten 5% or more in the, gen- in the presidential election, that's been eliminated. And the six to one matching funds uh, that will be used in the primary, that will just be extended all the way through the presidential campaign through the general election. And the only way you can get access to those six to one matching funds for the general election is if you had qualified for the matching funds in the, the primary. So every four years for president, we're essentially going to be starting from zero and that we're going to have to raise that $25,000 in each of 20 states or we get nothing, uh, no matter how much of the vote you got in the previous election. And look, 5% as a threshold wasn't great, but at least there was some aspect of getting access to this public campaign finance that was tied to the votes you got and not just the money that you are raising through private donations. And that's been completely obliterated. And this is that 5% vote threshold is something that Greens have been aspiring to for a couple of generations now. It's something that, you know, I was hoping Ralph Nader was going to reach in 2000. And so this is a, a monumental shift in terms of how uh, parties independent of the Democrats and Republicans can get equity and public campaign equity within our current system. And it's a huge step backwards. And we, we need to get on this. Well said, Michael O'Neill. And I, I stand corrected uh, on two different fronts. So I appreciate you uh, pushing me and helping to keep my thinking clear and uh, being more precise with my language. And I got to say, this conversation, as always, when we have you on, Gloria, it just flew by. I do want to give you an opportunity for any final thoughts. Thank you, David, and love being with you and Michael um, every month having this talk. Well, uh, you know, one thing I want to say about um, the the other poison pill that, that Michael uh, it's really kind of brought up, but we both brought up on the show, um, which is really important. I know in, in trying to explain that and people to wrap their heads around, it, even though we had people looking at that 600 page you know, bill, um, what I want to break it down for people uh, who are listening is to basically say that the duopoly, the empire is doing everything it can to squash independent um, left uh, smaller parties like the Greens, uh, um, resistance parties, the parties, the opposition. But that means they're trying to suppress what you need, what your rights are, 
So it's obviously there's things to be concerned about in terms of, you know, maintaining and building, you know, our movement. But it's all we're building this movement. We part to be part of this movement because it's the right thing to do for 99 percent of the people in this country. And no one else is really standing up for that. In fact, they're trying to further uh, drive that underground. Um, so I just, you know, want to be able to underscore that uh, for people to understand, you know, how, what we're talking about here. I want to just once again say, check out the annual meeting um, starting July 25th uh, at gp.org. And probably, I'm sure you may talk about this at some other time, but just a quick shout out to the Youth Caucus of the Green Party, also known as the Young Eco-Socialists, for their hands-off Venezuela a resource kit that you can find uh, at gp.org also. Thank you, Gloria Matera, for all you do to help grow the movement, grow the Green Party, and for joining us as a guest. Thank you also, Michael O'Neill, not only the co-host of this program that handles all the technical issues on the show, multitasking. Thank you, Michael O'Neill. Most importantly, I want to thank you, the viewer listener, for helping us build this movement, helping us build an audience for this movement. And as always, with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron, a reminder that the revolution will not be televised, but it can be brought to you over sources of non-corporately filtered information, and that includes a green way forward. So an appeal to you, really two appeals. Number one, go to the website, agreenwayforward.org, and sign up and help us build this as a tool to advance eco-socialism in the Green Party. And the second appeal, come and meet me, Michael O'Neill, and Gloria Matera, and hundreds of other Greens who are rolling up our sleeves to do the work. Come and find out what it looks like to have a real people's party. Salem, Massachusetts, coming up. Go to gp.org and sign up. Thanks again. Good night. Peace. A Greenway Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e-newsletter at agreenwayforward.org to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes, with more podcast platforms being added each week. Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod, whose fine music can be found at incomptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Green Way Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.